this morning. James. Some bits of James are difficult and hard and sometimes a little bit heavy going. But it's God's word. And um, we're actually... Oh, well, let's read the passage, shall we? I'm going to pray first. (coughs) Father, we want to praise you and thank you for this opportunity. Father, it's such an amazing privilege that we have to worship like this and to meet in freedom. Lord, to be before your word. The whole counsel of your truth, Lord, is before us on page, but in Jesus too, mainly. The whole counsel of light for the world and truth for us to live by is in him. And we have it represented in this book, in our Bibles this morning. We want to thank you for this privilege, Father, that we have. Father, it is such a privilege. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. James 4, verse 1. Um, Steve has given a title to this passage, uh, Friend of the World or Friend of God. But there's so much more there in the passage apart from that. And you'll forgive me if I go outside of that, won't you, this morning? James 4, verse 1, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture said he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning. Sounds nice, doesn't it? And your joy to gloom. Also sounds nice. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbour? Such tough, strong, and powerful words. How do we cope with words like that? My Lord, the peasants are revolting. Yes, he said, well, I thought there was a funny smell in here. And so, you know, we could go on, you know. And yet I look out here, I see no one fighting, no one quarrelling. I don't see any arguments. But at the moment, I can't hear any. And afterwards, when we have coffee, it seems quite peaceful in this place 
seems rather lovely because there are some excellent friendships, excellent respect, and I see tremendous honour for one another and respect. I see a lot of help going on, a lot of visiting, a lot of phone calls, a lot of care. I want to see the ideal church. I want to see the ideal church. And you know, within our community, I'm God sure we're visible as the true church of God. He can see the likeness of Jesus in our company. So we, I mean, John has said at the end of the year, and what Steve, you know, our move over here, our behaviour and how we treated the move, you know, was done in an honourable way. I mean, I just want, along with the other elders, to encourage every one of you that the delights of God are in the people in this room this morning. Because they see much of Jesus. And that's lovely. And yet we read a passage like this, and you say, well, how are we going to apply this this morning? How's it going to be useful for us? It's all about relationships from beginning to end. And I think the first chapter, Steve said, you know, really, it's about relationships. When you come to this bit, you come to relationships. They can't get on with one another. Fights and quarrels and murders and that. Why this strong language? We have to remember that um, James was a Jew. And he was familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. He was familiar that the way the Jewish nation actually treated God. And as Julian said last week, you know, this blue background which we're painting in the picture, we have to see James like that. Behind him there is this picture, the, the, the sky, it's, it's that big open space. It's the open space of history where James knew how people treated God. And so he uses words like murder to emphasise, to exaggerate bad relationships. They weren't murdering, they weren't killing one another, but he's using these words to exaggerate how relationships can become and how destructive they can be. He uses the word murder because he saw the rich squeezing the life out of the poor. Because he, he saw, you know, important people, you know, making their way and pushing their way to get notability and honour. Walking over people's personalities, destroying the life of others. And there are actually so many ways that we can actually destroy the lives of others. James talked about one at the end of there, how we judge people and criticise Christians sometimes. It can be so destructive. We destroy the life of another. It can be so destructive. And so he uses the word like murder. He's exaggerating to make a point. He talks about wars. You know, wars are the wrong way to sort out a problem, aren't they, really? And yet it happens. Nations fighting against nations. And even in our world today, there are wars going on. So we hear the whole counsel of God, the scripture, if you like, saying to us, there's a better way. If we look to any situation in our land, in our world, the Bible would say, come on, there's a better way. And it was Jesus who actually came to demonstrate a better way. So it's these relationships 
You know, if we are members of this local church and we have any regard for it being the dwelling place of God on earth where Christ is recognized as head, each person is held in high regard. Paul talks about the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Believers in Jesus Christ are the unique of the earth. We don't say that arrogantly, but we say it because of what Jesus has done for us. He's bought us with his own life and blood, and he's made us perfect. What does that mean in terms now? It means immediately now I have acceptance with God despite what I've done. You say it's outrageous. It is outrageous, but that is the truth of God. That is how great the work of Jesus is, that we're made perfect. But then Paul, in, a latter, in, a, in another part of the New Testament, talks about our lives being lived unto perfection. We're made perfect, but that's where we aim towards. That's what we try and do. We don't get there. We don't, we don't get it. But that's the process that God has given us. Having been made perfect, we want to walk that road unto perfection. And sometimes we get the whole wrong idea about being a Christian. Because of God's grace, I can just live on carrying, doing the same old things I have been doing because God accepts me. A true disciple will want to follow Jesus. He'll want to correct the wrongs in his life. He'll want to please God. He'll want to follow each day a pathway that honours Jesus. He'll be a person who wants to be distinctive in his life and distinctive in their speech so that actually an invisible church now becomes visible. Amongst Bible students, there is a thinking that um, the church can be seen as visible and invisible. For example, Paul writes letters to Christians at Corinth and Thessalonica and Rome and different places, specific locations where communities of Christians met. He could see them in those places and they knew they were there. But when James is writing, he's writing to Christians scattered all over the place. So in a sense, they were invisible. You couldn't sort of define where they were. They were all over the place. But really his letter, underlying what he's saying is how really new Christians can get their lives together, ultimately meeting together, and to be a gathered community where Jesus Christ is the head, they then become visible. And so James is really saying in all these things, as you are now, people can't see any distinction in your lives. They can't make any difference. They just see you as just any old person in the world because you do the same things as they do. You don't get on together, you have quarrels, you have fights, and you've lost the pathway to life. Or your, the tendency is you're losing the pathway to life. He said, and so he's interrogative with them. He said, what causes these fights and quarrels? You need to think about what causes these fights. And to come back to it, ultimately, it's because we have a flawed relationship with God. 
Now we're looking in through a window at other Christians. And so we just take what we see and what James is saying to them and we try and assess how it can be useful to us. James actually highlights some of the problems and he highlights the points that we can take this morning of how to develop our lives and to come into a living relationship with God. First and foremost, a person in relationship cannot have a relationship with God without accepting Jesus Christ as Saviour. That is saying, I want to get my life right. I now want to follow. Jesus said to Matthew, Matthew, follow me. We read that he left everything and followed Jesus. It's a commitment to move from one side to another side, as it were. To now live a life with distinctives that honour Jesus and honour the God of glory. And we all have problems with doing that. So we look in the window at other people. We see, we see, oh, and we agree with James, they're a bad lot, aren't they? You know, anybody would complain and say, well, I'm glad I'm not like them. But sometimes the truth of that is that within our hearts we can be. It's so easy to be, isn't it? So easy to be. So at the beginning of this passage, it's got warning against worldliness. And and our passage, the title, Friend of the World or Friend of God, and um, you know for older Christians like me and Bill and Fred and and John and that, we we can go back and this verse, being a friend of the world, has been drummed into us like nobody's business so that we've actually warped the very thinking of it underneath. For example, I know of families who wouldn't let their children play on Sundays, play toys and stuff like that. How extreme can the Christian community get? I know I heard of a man who wouldn't walk through a park in London on a Sunday because the walk, him walking through the park would be the cause of the park being opened and the groundsman having to work in the park on Sunday. So he was trying to demonstrate that he wasn't a friend of the world, and that's extreme. And so there are dangers of extremes, aren't there, when we come to a passage like this, being the friend of the world or friend of God. And whilst we should always be asking what this really means, sometimes we can get it wrong. I myself wouldn't buy things on a Sunday once, because it was so drummed into me, you can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. So, in a sense, I want to make a point this morning. We really need to discuss things like this to make sure we're not getting it wrong. We're not being extreme. Because it doesn't actually make us more of a visible church. It actually destroys the true picture of the church. And when Jesus and his disciples were walking through the cornfields on the Sabbath, that was the Saturday, the Bible records the story, They were picking uh, corns of grain, you know the story, because it was the Sabbath. And um, the Pharisees came up to them, you shouldn't be doing that because you're working on the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So the extremes of trying to be distinctive and different are sometimes wrong and take the whole idea out of context. And Jesus turned around and said to me, he said, now, lads, 
The Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. Easy, isn't it? <laughs> you got it completely round the wrong way. You know, really, my idea of rest and not working was so that you might enjoy a day off. You might have rest. You might give rest to your cattle and stuff. And, you know, there might be a sense of enjoyment and not constant work, 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 work. Getting it round the wrong way. So what does friend of the world really mean? I had to ask myself this question because I have bad memories of trying to work out what being a friend of the world was. Bad memories. And so you have to look at work and what, what it does. And, you know, <clears throat> I want to use this sort of phrase. There is the world's economy, and I'm not talking about financial markets and stuff like that. There's something which makes this world move and its communities and its peoples, which is detached from what, how God sees a community working or how a life can be really blessed. And so what, what is it? What is it being you know, a friend of the world? World economy is different than God's economy. If you read the Beatitudes, I think in Matthew 5, you will find there's a total different way of looking at life that Jesus told the people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he said. And it wasn't, we can be poor in spirit, but sometimes we get it wrong and say, well, I'm meant to be, as James said at the end here, I'm meant to mourn and to be seen, to be not happy because of all the wrong you know, that's going on and around, around me. But that's not true. That's not true. So what is this world that James is talking about that we're not to be friends with? What, what, what can it look like? There's some indicators. <clears throat> you know, so as I work amongst people, I notice there's, there's something that drives people on, and it's not the Bible, and it's not things of God, it's not Jesus. But there's a sort of a wheel of motion that drives communities. And it looks a little like this. You know, wherever you go, there seems to be a scam. And it's easy how people are drawn into a scam. I mean, scams are more public now with the internet and all that stuff, you know. But how we can be caught up with a scam sometimes. But you know, many communities work on a scam. It drives them forward. What can I do next to upset the next person? Or what can I do to make myself a little bit of money? And I've had it when I've been out working, you know, they've either got something going which is either to deceive or upset somewhere else or how they can benefit themselves. A scam. Our world moves on scams very often. Favours and payoffs that relate to unfair advantage. Our local councils do it all the time, don't they? We hear of it here and there. Favours and scams which give unfair advantage. But you know, that's the way that people actually move on. That's their ambition. That's the way they try and get an, a, an advantage by an unfair advantage. Grooming. Not necessarily always sexual. I heard of an old lady the other day and the carer was coming in. And the carer who came in kept on saying to this old lady, yeah, I really like that picture you've got there, because she wanted it. And it kept, the old lady's mind was fed until she finally said, well, I'll leave it to you in my will. 
and she got what she wanted because she was grooming the old lady to get what she wanted. You know, our world moves on things like this. It's a world which is foreign to God. Grooming. Selfish ambition that disregards others, dog-eat-dog sort of thing that, that you see on Alan Sugar's show if you watch it, you know. But It's done for a program, I know. But it's real, and it does happen. Disregard personalities and scorn the issues. Dog eats dog. That sort of thing is driving our business community. Cunning, hiding. Husbands, when did you last creep out the door so that your wives wouldn't hear you? Hmm? I do it very often. Cunning. You know, it works, doesn't it? Different things like that. (laughs) Trying to sneak something in the door that you bought, you know, or hiding something. Don't nod your head like that, Janet. It happens, you know, in relationships. Sort of things that drive communities and peoples and relationships. You know? Don't spend your money on that. Oh, but that cream cake does look so lovely in the shop, you know. So you screw up the cream bag and throw it in the dustbin unless it gets indoors, sort of hiding things. That's a humorous thing, but it happens. You know, one partner hiding things from the other, people hiding what they're doing at work from someone else. There's a sort of foreign world to the life with God. Not my fault. Not my fault. How many discussions and arguments do you come across? If not the direct words, but you get the idea, I'm guilty. When you have nothing, it's not your fault at all. Because we are in the habit of denying the truth. Cheating starts at school and carries on, doesn't it? If it's not checked. Inequality, injustice, disrespect, dishonour, deceit, economical with the truth, revenge, anger. You know, I'm sure EastEnders is not a true representation of real life. It's actually worse than that. It's actually worse than that. If we're able to take some of the roofs off the houses around us and look into the awful situations going on within families... We will be horrified. That's made for a program. That's made for entertainment. I don't watch EastEnders, and I don't because it's such a miserable program. But I wouldn't say don't watch it. They're trying to represent what life in the East End is like. I'm sure it's not a true representation of life because it's actually worse than that. Let us remember that. Because our world runs on that sort of economy. It's what fuels friendships, it's what fuels communities, it's what fuels life. And what James is saying, friendship with that sort of world, you're in hostility with God. He he doesn't have part of that world. That's not his world, and it's not his best for you and for me. It's actually a lot better.
The word translated friend is unique to James. It means to love and to be loved. To hold in regard and to be regarded. Friendship. It means I'm in. It means I'm recognised. It means I'm accepted. And some people would rather be accepted for who they are in church rather not be accepted in church and rather be accepted in a team or something like that. Because there's a mutual love and understanding and a mutual regard. And that sort of act, whilst you could say that about the church, it's also happening outside. So the two are very close together. And it could something like this could happen to demonstrate my friendship. In a church, we try and engage with each other. We try to show love to one another. So if I, as a member or a person in a church community, feel I'm not being loved, <clears throat> or I'm not being appreciated in any specific way, I sort of feel detached. And then I sort of move, I could move out into a group of people where I do feel loved and I am regarded. There's nothing wrong in that. Sometimes you find that happening within the church. You might, someone might feel like that this morning. You say, I don't feel I'm getting anywhere here. I'll go somewhere else. And if a person leaves a church in a good spirit wants to go to another church, that's fine. That's a good way of carrying on. Leave in a good spirit, make sure you leave no rubbish behind you, and go where, in actual fact, you're more at home. Don't go, please don't go. <laughs> but how easy it is to happen, isn't it? I'm not accepted, I'm not loved. People are not recognising my gifts. I'll go somewhere else. But it might not always be a church. I've told this story before, and you'll forgive me for repeating it, but it sort of illustrates the point. Um, a member in a church, he was all part of the community, and he was part of the family, and um, he came out one Sunday morning, and he saw uh, a, a pigeon with a broken leg or a damaged wing on the pavement outside. And so he took pity on this pigeon. I cannot see why. Dirty things. Um, sorry if anybody likes pigeons, but um, <coughs> they're really horrible pigeons. I like to clear about 30 of them out of one of our roofs we had, and um, we found that there's a dead pigeon in the water we were using, you know, and uh, the smell, it was so disgusting. Anyway, we're going off the point. This man thought it was his job in life to care for the pigeon. And so he cared for the pigeon. He looked after it and fed it. It became his pet. Ooh. And um, then he joined the pigeon club. And then he became chairman. And eventually he didn't go to church. But something had taken his interest away. He didn't feel he belonged. Now, I don't know the reasons why he did that, but he found something more important. And it's so easy sometimes to demonstrate our friendship 
you know? Because our love for God has grown cold and our love for Jesus has grown cold and we find our friendship somewhere else. Friend of the world or friend of God? So it's easy, isn't it? So this word translated friend, you see, Who am I really friendly with? Who's, where's my love? Where's my honour? Where's my respect? Or is my need just focusing on my need? Because that can begin to make us friends with the world outside. I don't want to sound too hyper-spiritual about this friend being friends. Well, I think we all know what it means, but it's a difficult thing to try and unpack and understand what it is. But if our, watch it, if our love for God and Jesus grows cold, watch it very carefully. Friend of the world or friend of God. James uses the word enmity. Enmity has to do with the undoing of treaties once made and returning to the former state of affairs. When we came to Christ, when we came to God through Jesus Christ, we made a treaty with him to follow him, to love him, to serve him, and possibly to do the things that he did. When we get to enmity with God, We've undone the treaties and we've returned to the former state of affairs which was lost and separated from God. Although we can't lose our salvation, I don't want anybody to get that idea. You know what it's like, don't you? If our love grows cold. When we come to Jesus and we accept what he's done for us, Peace has been made with God, between us and God. Everything between us has gone that kept us apart. Everything's gone. But in Christ, we're his. And no one can separate us from his love. So what's going to help us in this sort of situation? What's going to help us? I just want to tell you, that the same power which the Bible talks about it being having made peace with God, our lives completely hid in him, is present here today. So that we might not be separated from God, but that we may be his child. Like I said earlier, what Jesus has done has done it completely. Nothing left to do, just like creation. God looked and saw all that he made and it was Perfect. Perfect. Nothing to add, nothing to take away, nothing to change, but to see the glory of it. That was creation. And that's what happens when we come to Christ. Nothing to add, nothing to take away. As we are in Christ, perfect. But we move to that point. So what's the first thing that we we learn here? So James makes a reference to Scripture. Scripture really means the Old Testament when it's talked about in Scripture in the Bible. When the New Testament refers to Scripture, it's talking about the Old Testament. 
James, with all his Jewish background and understanding, would refer to Scripture. And plus the fact that probably most of the New Testament hadn't been written by this time, which was AD 50, or around that time anyway. So he would be referring to Scripture. And um, he says, does not Scripture actually say... I just want to stop there a moment. He's referring to Scripture, to the Bible, to the Word of God. He doesn't say, as Scripture says, as it says in Job chapter 3 or Psalms chapter 3, because he's not referring to any specific passage, but what he is referring to is the authority and the place and the purpose of our Bibles, of Scripture itself. That's what he's referring to. It has power to change our lives. It has power to change the word. He's talking about its authority. He's not referring to a specific passage. And so this community, the elders in this church will have it that as best as we can, unless we're shown otherwise, we will keep to this book because we believe it has authority here today. What I'm saying for what we do, how we move forward into the future. Not on our whims, but based on what the Bible says. Because we recognise its authority and we need to keep in touch and in step with that idea. So James is saying, to make a move from where you are, you need to recognise the authority of Scripture. Now what does it say? Well, in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, Paul writing to Timothy, he said, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what they're able to do. As we read the Bible, it's able to change our lives completely. I used to tell of the testimony of an old couple who did quarrel and fight. They just couldn't stand each other. They couldn't stand the sight of each other, even though they sat in the same room. And their table had one leg shorter than the other three. And uh, the Bible that they had been given had been placed under the fourth leg of the table so that it didn't rock. And one day the old man was sitting there. He said, what's that book down there? And... He, it, he pulled it out and started to read it. And in reading it, it changed his life. And it changed their relationship because they found the Jesus that could change their situation. So wonderful is the book. It can change the world. Authority. Let's not forget its authority. So we carry on in that verse. From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And this is what he goes on to say. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof. When we get it wrong, it puts us right. For correction, showing us the right way. And for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent Another version used the word perfect there. That the man of God may be perfect, competent and equipped for every good work. This book's going to see you through for life. 
from childhood to the grave, whatever it is, and on into the future. That's the authority that it has. That's the value that it has. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. This is too difficult to unpack now. But here we are. It's, this goes, takes it back to James. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Because James had told his hearers, you need to check your motives, why you're doing these things. When you pray, when you pray, you need to check why you're praying. He said, you ask and you don't get. You don't receive. He said, you ask in the wrong way and so God doesn't give it to you. Their prayer lives were out of order. They hadn't, that's not, a judgment. What I'm saying is the value that prayer can give to our lives as we come before God was the road to recovery. Was the road to recovery. And prayer is what we need to engage in. It's only communicating with God. It's only fostering my relationship with God getting to know him, him getting to know me. And he wants us to ask him. He wants to give us stuff. He wants us to talk to him about those problems we have, those personal problems we have. We can't talk to anybody else again. He wants to hear what we say. He's a human God in that sense. You know what I'm trying to say. He was an invisible God, and yet he made, sent Jesus to make himself visible. And Jesus was the one that listened Jesus the one that understood. And Jesus was the one that said, here, I can help you. Jesus was the one that took the kids up in his arms and blessed them when they were sent away. It checks our motives in the Bible. And then prayer renews that relation. So there's three things in points which I want to cover very quickly. Scripture, prayer, learning its true value and the Holy Spirit, which James refers to. He, used it, he only refers to the Holy Spirit twice in this book that he writes. I'm not going to make a reason for that. He just does. But here, he's talking about our spirits, that our own spirits which God has given us, being at variance with God's Holy Spirit within us, and the two clash. Not getting on. And that affects our conscience. So, you know, if we're getting it wrong, sometimes we will hear that voice or be convinced in our being that what we're doing is not right. That's when the Holy Spirit is variance with our spirit or our spirit of variance with the Holy Spirit. So we need to tune up to get in sync with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Spirit searches the deep things of God. Is my passion for God really there, James is saying? Is my love for Jesus genuine and growing? Am I hating anything that's sin and upsetting other people? And what am I doing about it to distance myself from it? God wants to be consulted. He wants to be asked. He wants to be involved. He's invested in us, each one of us. He believes in you. He's rooting for you. Bad relationship with others can be due to a flawed relationship with God. 
We need to come to him with honesty and openness, with gratitude and worship. Finally, James says, resist the devil. And he doesn't make it difficult, does he? He said, you're able to do that. That's within your authority and power not to have anything to do with anything which will take you away from your love for God. You have the power to do that. You just have to say no, like Jesus did. Jesus demonstrated that you only have to give him his marching orders and he will go because you have that authority. I don't know how many of you, I just feel we need to pray for some people this morning who either feel bad or have suffered as a result of a bad relationship with someone and you want to deal with that and you want to put it right. And the other thing I want to pray for, and I'm going to ask Margaret, I did ask Meskrem because it's so wonderful to have these guys from Ethiopia with us. But you know, they came with a letter commending their ministry amongst the people of God. For Meskrem, it was her prayer ministry. And I thought this morning I would get her to pray for those who are really finding prayer difficult. And you don't seem to be getting through with prayer. It not, doesn't seem to be making a way for you. you don't seem, God doesn't seem to be answering your prayer. James says, he gives us some indicators of why prayer is not working. They're not the only ones. The Bible tells us if we regard iniquity in our heart, and that might come from bad friendships. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So we need to get that right. So I'm just going to ask Margaret and Meskrem, because Meskrem was a bit afraid of her language, but I'm sure we'll get through with the Spirit of God. He, doesn't, he goes past languages and, and misunderstanding. I'm just going to ask Steve and, and John if they'll come for people who just want to pray with people who feel their whole life's been affected by a bad relationship. And you actually want to put that right, get it behind you so that you can move on. But also going to ask us to stand. And I don't, how many of you know that, that prayer, oh, that Taze prayer, oh Lord, hear my prayer? Oh Lord, hear my prayer when I call, answer me. You know it, John? You know? Well, there's enough of us here to sing it. Let's stand and sing it. And um, <coughs> just. Uh,